Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is, of course, my podcast. Um, we are marching uh, ever forward. We just reached, uh, we're about to reach 13,000 subscribers on YouTube, something I never thought uh, would happen. Um, it's just sort of a crazy, crazy time. So uh, whatever you're doing, uh, however you're consuming this content, leave me a thumbs up, a like, or whatever. Subscribe to the channel. And um, of course, share it and help the channel grow uh, so we can do uh, lots of other cool things. Uh, if you, as always, if you love it, share it with your friends. And if you hate it, please share it with your enemies. Now, I have a very fascinating guest, which you, who you may not know, but uh, who is very, very uh, important. So we're going to jump right into it. But first, I have some things to say. Um, in August of 2014, a jilted male programmer published a lengthy, gut-wrenching blog post which chronicled in painstaking detail the bitter demise of what appeared to be an extremely toxic, even abusive relationship with a female independent video game developer. What began as a bit of salacious internet drama would soon spiral outward, becoming a cultural whirlwind, garnering widespread press attention and even spawning an infamously awful episode of Law & Order. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, coincidentally swimming in the right algorithmic water, so to speak, to watch the dumpster fire spread further and further away from the usually benign niche realm of geekdom and video games and into the white hot center of a simmering culture war, which uh, has, of course, since uh, boiled over. Uh, in fact, the firestorm, which came to be known as Gamergate, provided a preview of the current societal and cultural battles that we observe today, living as it did at the intersection, if you will, of pop culture, journalism, and quote-unquote progressive politics. Now, one reason that uh, the Gamergate controversy didn't fade away as just a sex scandal that we could amuse ourselves with is because a single video, in my mind, made by a single content creator catalyzed the controversy and made it go viral, um, unwittingly sparking a cultural firestorm from which we are arguably still feeling the reverberations. Um, so my guest today is sort of an enigma. Um, he uh, he, he kind of specializes in... He has his body of work where he specializes in going, doing these deep dives in these sort of weird um, niche um, internet subcultures, uh, many of them happening, many, many of them which overlap with, um, I guess you would call it far uh, left uh, sociopolitics. And um, so in many ways, this, the whole Gamergate controversy was sort of right up his alley for his really unique blend of very smart, uh, very cutting and lacerating, uh, biting um, and often satirical social commentary. So um, he's gone by many, many names. Um, but uh, Mr. Medicare, uh, also known as or formerly known as the Internet Aristocrat, or aka, um, I was gonna make a joke about the N word, uh, Jim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for joining me. Here today. Say, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, so, I mean, it was so long ago. Um, that it happened, but it just seemed to be this thing which was uh, uh, spiraling out of control. It just, it just would not stop. And uh, you know, before I I get to all that, it just because I don't I don't quite know how to describe you. How how would you describe your yourself? If that's a fair question to ask. Uh, more, uh, you know, I, I guess the easiest way to think of it is is a typical internet user from a, a set period of time. Uh, so kind of before modern social media where everybody's using an app on their phone uh but definitely after news groups you know so it's kind of like that in between right before web 2.0 mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, you know, where you kind of had the freedom to kind of go around and laugh at whatever you wanted to laugh at. A lot right. of the sites that were just kind of cutting edge at the time were coming into being. So you had something like something awful from uh, Richard, you know, Lotex, um, you know, early 2000s was kind of coming up. And then you had mood with uh, 4chan and kind of mid 2000s. Um, you know, E-bombs world, uh, (laughs) which not a lot of people look back, you know, uh, favorably on, but you you had, you know, these different kinds of sites where you could go on, say what you want, talk about what you want. Um, There wasn't really any heavy censorship at the point, you know, at that point. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of being a content creator too, and kind of this monetization scheme of everything that you do is monetized now um, didn't really exist. So you just had a lot of mean, but playful banter uh, related to pretty much anything. Um, and that's kind of the context in which I kind of, kind of, you know, came up and that kind of flavored my perception of what the internet was like and kind of how to behave on the internet. Um, and I guess the lens through which I view interactions online. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so weird. You know, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about, uh, uh, you know, that era of the internet was often described as the wild, wild west. And even in my, I mean, I have a more arts focused um, um, show here, but Mm -hmm. um, we sort of have clustered around maybe 2010, where things sort of really began to go off the rails for whatever reason. I'm sure people have have their have their opinions about that. But it, but it's also funny is that a, a constant theme on this channel is freedom of expression, which you've just highlighted, which I think is really funny. And um, and uh, I am interested to hear more, maybe off the beaten path a little bit, but more sure. on your thoughts, because you've been sort of notoriously anti-monetization uh, with a lot of your stuff. I mean, you've you've deleted whole accounts, which have gotten lots of uh, views. You, you ruthlessly mock uh, other creators who, uh, who uh, you know, urge you to, you know, donate to Patreon and smash that like button. What, like, what is, do you have like a particular <laughs> aversion to um, to the monetization or just something that goes against your principles, your ethos in some way? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I am monetized now to an extent. I do. Oh, well, uh, you're, lots... you're a fucking hypocrite. <laughs> I, I know. It's like, uh, have you ever seen, have you ever seen that movie SLC Punk? No, no, I haven't. Uh, Salt Lake City Punk. Uh, it's like a 90s movie. It's this, there's a scene uh, where the son, who's like a punk, kind of in a, a Mormon community, is you know arguing with his dad, um, and his parents used to be hippies, right? Uh, and now they're like bankers. And he's like, "I'm never going to be like you, mom and dad. I'm never going to be like you." And the dad looks at the son and he says, "Hey, I didn't, I didn't sell out, son. I bought in." And so I've got that kind of dirty feeling, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean you are right. For for a majority of the time that I did this, uh, I, again, I it kind of came with that perception of it was just more for fun than anything um, or to talk about kind of what I wanted to talk about or do what I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, God, no, that monetization pretty much has taken over. I think it, it, it's weird. You know, I remember when it first started um, you would have seen something like angry video game nerd or that guy with the glasses, I think were two of the kind of trendsetters for, or even screw attack were some of the mm-hmm. trendsetters for like really early monetization for how to, how do we get money off our website? Um, how do we monetize our videos? You know, they use the content creator, you know, label too, before a lot of people did. Um, and I always thought, God, you know, that's so weird. Why would you do that? And now you've got, um, <laughs> now you have 18 year olds playing Minecraft who are living in, are living in mansions, <laughs> right? Filthy rich. Yeah. Ridiculously yeah. rich, you know, cause uh, you know, they draw on that audience and, um, you know, times, times change, I guess it's adapt or die, uh, I suppose. But, mm. um, yeah, you know, I, I miss it to an extent. Um, what I definitely miss more, though, is, yeah, you know, it, it was that period, that Wild West kind of mentality. Um, a lot of things now online are um, very politicized, right? 
mm-hmm. um, it, regardless of which which side of the spectrum you're on. Uh, it, it felt like kind of before before you could make fun of anything, and the first thought somebody would have was not, "Oh, it's political." More else, it was, "Oh, that's funny," or "Oh, that's weird." You know, um, now everything is like this kind of life and death battle between. Uh, the right and the left. And that really has taken center stage, I think, especially yeah. over the last six or seven years. Yeah. And it's, and I find it, I don't know about you, but I find it so, so exhausting now. I mean, I definitely went through my, my phase where, you know, I mean, and, th- and this was part of why, how I came on to stumble upon your content as well. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, how can you not find the absurdities of say Tumblr uh, funny, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that sense of it was sort of anything goes. And I mean, ju- I mean, just the fact that a comedian like Dave Chappelle was worshiped in the early two thousands, but now he's Bill like, nice, you know, yeah. exactly. Now he's a pariah. Just, it just goes to show uh, so much how the culture has shifted. And I mean, Thomas, uh, Thomas Sowell, the economist said that uh, he, he likened it to replacing um, one set of taboos with another. I mean, I, I compare a lot of these people now, I, I just call them the left-wing version of the right-wing, like, you know, evangelicals we used to make fun of during the Bush years. Sure. And, um, you know, and it's probably an oversimplification, uh, but uh, I think the difference is, uh, you know, people people now, they look at, say, uh, Christianity and they can say, okay, I recognize that as, you know, a sort of separate ideology with its own doctrine and rules and, and, sort of, and so on and so forth. But, now we have this other ideology, which has sort of taken over, and uh, it, it dominates in the entertainment spaces and the journalistic spaces, the social media spaces, and um, it's very, it's so rigid. Yeah, you're going to say something. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea. You know, I, I used to describe it as kind of the concept of uh, secular sin, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it's the idea that you've offended um, uh, a religious taboo of a non-religion, right? It's very, it's very weird. I mean, you brought up Chappelle. Yeah, it, he went from a being, you know, highly praised. I, I used to watch his show. I still like his stuff, but yeah, now if yeah. he tries to say something, he's going to get uh, just a ton of crap for it. Um, they tried that too earlier on. Interesting. If you compare Chappelle to um, Stephen Colbert, uh, they tried to oh, cancel really? him back in 2016, 2017. That's right. Cancel Colbert. Yep. And um, it's the weird thing about it is he started to kind of give in a little to that pressure. Um, and I think that's flavored his comedy. Because I remember Colbert when he used to do Strangers with Candy. And if you've watched Strangers with Candy, it's such a weird um, show. It's so bizarre. But I mean, <laughs> the character he played was hysterical. It was a very funny bit, right? But I don't think he could do that this, you know, nowadays with the audience that he's kind of cultivated. Whereas Chappelle, I think, could still do whatever he wants because he's like, What are you gonna what are you gonna do to me? You know, I mean, this is a guy that was I mean, Chappelle's a guy that walked away from a ton of money, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. just a ridiculous amount of money to he was like, I'm just not going to do it. I, you know, I have my reasons. This is why I'm walking away. Um, but yeah, it's the, you know, you, you brought up Tumblr, right? Um, the idea that it was kind of funny. And it was. It was very funny at the beginning. Um, but, you know, one of the concerns I had back when I started doing Tumblrs and was back in like 2014, 2013, was that we were seeing a lot of um, young adults, you know, 18 to 20, that were kind of putting forward these ideas of thin privilege, um, you know, cultural appropriation, you know, mm-hmm. th- these different ideas, but they were taking um, these concepts to an absurd degree, right? So it wasn't just that, you know, like cultural appropriation, you're not just, you're not, uh, you know, stealing the culture and then mocking the people, right? It's, we don't like your Halloween outfit. Or thin privilege wasn't, um, oh my God, you're just so cruel to people that are overweight for no reason. It was, oh, if a doctor tells me I need to be a little bit healthier, that's, uh, you know, oppression. Mm-hmm. So they were taking in this ridiculous, you know, kind of degree, but they were getting it um, from their professors. 
Um, and one of the interesting things I had found was there's a group called FIRE. I think it's a foundation for individual rights and in education. Right. Um, you know, started by this kind of like little, little Jewish guy from like the Bronx, you know, kind of a left-leaning guy. Um, and one of the interesting things he had said was, you know, I was a hippie in the 60s. I remember we protested on college campuses. And at the time, it was very conservative. That was the pressure we had coming down on us. And he said, we were, you know, protesting for free speech. He said, but the sad part was that when we finally got the positions of power, when we became the, um, the teachers and the professors and the deans, it wasn't free speech that we advocated for. It was our speech. And instead of, you know, showing everybody how it should have been, we just became uh, the conservatives, which we had, you know, been denouncing up until that point. We just, we, you know, swung the pendulum the other direction. Uh, and so that's kind of, that's what I kind of, you know, hearing him say that and then watching happen uh, on social media through Tumblr and other things with young college students, I thought, I can see where this is going to go. Mm. Um, I, I can kind of parse out what's going to happen. Uh, you know, you saw a bit of that too with Occupy Wall Street. You know, this idea that, you know, you have an underclass of people who are upset with the economic situation, right? You know, that famous picture of all the brokers uh, drinking champagne while people are protesting in the streets. Uh, but what's the image that you take away from that? It's somebody named Ketchup on Stephen Colbert <laughs> talking about pronouns. Or you have um, a woman with a bullhorn screaming at people saying, no, we need to do a privilege stack. Um, you can't speak if you're not oppressed enough. Right. So, you know, it just sucked the momentum out of it. So, I mean, it, it was, you know, 2013 to 2016 was a very weird period where the joke started to become a little too real, I think. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I just I just jotted down as you were speaking this idea of um, ideological infiltration in a way. And, um, you know, it, it makes me think about that. I'm sure you've seen this meme go around where it's like, you know, you have a group of people who establish, you know, some sort of hobby or you know some sort of subculture or enthusiasm whatever um a, a fandom and then you have a small group of people who come in and initially they they seem to express uh, the same interest as this particular group but then once they once they become embedded then they begin demanding things um things go their own way um and what you were describing about the occupy wall street thing i mean i've seen it the same thing happened to, I mean, it, it, I guess what, maybe a decade ago, the big thing was like the atheist community, the secular community, sure. where it became atheism, not just atheism, but atheism plus. Plus, yeah. And, and it became, <laughs> and it became, um, so these, this, so these people said, you know, we need to also focus on, you know, racism, uh, sexism, uh, you know, uh, homophobia, transphobia. Uh, um, and, and increasingly it just, what happened is that it began to just kind of hollow out um, what what were at one point exciting sort of um, I won't call them movements, but uh, sort of sort of cultural phenomena, I suppose. And um, and I began to notice that the you know the more that you let these people in, um, the more they kind of destroy everything. And what's interesting to hear you to hear you say is that you were kind of onto this. Maybe you were a, a Cassandra in a way, noticing <laughs> this because I think a lot of people just said. Uh, said, oh, okay, well, it's just a bunch of crazy college kids doing a bunch of radical nonsense. They'll, you know, they'll be smacked around by the real world once they get out. But it's like, well, no, actually what happened is that those kids grew up and then they got jobs and, yeah. <laughs> and they got jobs, not just any jobs, but they got jobs disproportionately in, uh, in areas of extraordinary influence, uh, namely journalism and media, uh, the entertainment industry, um, the university system, um, and Silicon Valley. So sure. now we—I call them the reality cartel in a way, because they, they now they control um, so much of um, of 
not just the information that gets out there, but the very way that we view um, that we view reality. It's very it's very strange. Yeah, they do, they do have a firm grip on it. I mean, it, it, I think it was presented to a lot of people. You know, when you talk about infiltration, right? Um, their term for it would be intersectionality. Of course. And so they sold it as a symbiosis, but it's really more like a parasitism, right? So it, you know, they they consume it, they hollow it out. They're this parasite that latches on, and then. Um, kind of, like you said, withers out the host, right? Um, and so you can't just talk about uh, whatever your hobby might be or whatever your interest might be or whatever you might be, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, uh, activizing for. Uh, it has to include this, this, and this. There's a checklist. There's a, uh, you know, a, a proper way of doing it. And these people will tell you what that proper way is. Um, it, it's very strange. Um, and it's something, too, that, you know, I, I mean, if you want to go back even further, there's something you could look up. It's called... Oh my gosh. Uh, the Sokol hoax, I yeah. think it is. Alan Sokol. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I think he proved a very brilliant point with that is uh, you can make up nonsense and it doesn't have to make any sense whatsoever. Um, just so long as you use the buzzwords and you agree with the majority and they will print it and publish it and praise it and give you awards and accolades. Um, and, you know, he really highlighted that really, really well with his paper. Um, and they got very mad at him for doing that. Uh, but yeah, you know, it is positions of power. I mean, you see these people like, you know, they, they come up through the college system. Uh, they're kind of flavored with it. They go out, they go into Silicon Valley, they do their, their tech startups, you know, they get their, um, angel funding. Um, you see them get positions of power and, you know, especially in HR, uh, mm. which, you know, uh, gives them kind of, a, a, almost an iron fist in a corporation to kind of set precedent for how do we interact in the workplace? What are we looking for, for a hire? You know, how should we get along? Um, yeah, it, it really, it really was kind of that early 2010s, yeah, 2012 uh, onward and forward. And yeah, lots of groups went through this. I mean, it wasn't just, um, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street. I mean, even before that, you know, you had Chinology, right, where people were against the Church of Scientology. Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of a 4chan driven thing. You know, they, they were uh, doing protests and uh, sending black faxes to make people waste um, uh, money at the printer, <laughs> you know, and just goofy <laughs> stuff like that. But the same thing happened. Um, the same thing eventually ended up happening where people started saying, no, no, it can't just be that. It has to be this too. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's actually a nice way to segue into, into the whole Gamergate saga. And, you know, it, I, I find it fascinating because now, nowadays you still find people uh, uh, writing, you know, blaming all of society's ills here and there on, on, Gamergate or whatever this thing was. So the question becomes what, you know, what even was it? I think a lot of people, I mean, it's it, to me, it just became so convoluted and, and it was so ridiculous um, that it, it just was difficult to explain. But if you, if you, and it, it was a huge, huge, um, I know it's become cliche now, but it's become a huge red pill moment for me, even though I was somebody who was always sort of skeptical of maybe government and maybe, and, and the media especially, but it, it, it was such a weird, um, for me, a weird microcosm of um, it, it just sort of became like foreshadowing for seeing everything else, uh, the way how the way that, uh, you know, the, the press operates, the way that this sort of uh, quote unquote progressive ideology kind of takes over these infiltrates, takes over these institutions, um, the gatekeeping, the um, the uh, and then I think the biggest impact that it had on me was just seeing how I, I would see, you know, what guys like you were saying and what you were talking about and what actual uh, uh, the people who supported the movement were talking about, but then I would see how it was reported on. And I said, this is completely, I, 
you know, when, when you see yourself referred to as like a, a privileged, angry, white uh, misogynist, um, <clears throat> simply because you see where these other guys are coming from. It, it, I mean, it was it really, really stuck with me that wait, wait a minute, the, the press just uh, is lying. But that's neither here. Now, let's let's just go back a little bit to the beginning. And now, how, now I want to hear your your recalling. Um, of how this all began, because you were, you were kind of the catalyst for a lot of this stuff. You made a video called, uh, uh, I believe it was called The Conspiracy Theory, which was <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah, using and, some uh, Jesse Ventura uh, footage from uh, yes. his, his, his little TV show. Yeah. Which was which was just, uh, it was so amazingly funny and clever. But I remember this video, I think you took it down, but it got over a million views um, before uh, it, it was removed. And, you know, you really, really hit on something. Because so just sort of lead into like what, let us know what like what led into the making of that video and sort of the, the drama that preceded it if you can well, think back that far i mean it was ages ago yeah i mean we're talking eight years ago but um i, I guess to set the stage for kind of uh, at least my perspective and i think what a lot of people were kind of feeling at the time was um you know you have a hobby people enjoyed gaming right and so they wanted to read articles related to what's coming out previews reviews that kind of stuff very basic stuff just anything i mean think of any hobby you might have cars movies whatever it is i mean you're looking to consume information related to that the newest stuff people's opinions on it, that sort of thing. Um, but there was a weird trend that started to kind of, um, I, I don't know if you'd say explode or just kind of, well, it was almost an exponential explosion, really. Uh, what started off as one or two opinion pieces kind of mixed into a game review or uh, mixed into something talking about a, a company that's releasing a product. Uh, more and more, we started to see um, the people that were journalists chastising their very own audience. Uh, you're terrible people. Gamers are horrible. Mm. Um, you're all racist. You're all sexist. Um, this is all white people's fault. Uh, I remember, I think it was Patricia Hernandez writing for Kotaku had Roden, uh, or had Roden, had written an entire article uh, saying that she had access. I think, I think the article was she had said uh, to somebody, you're going to get raped in Gears of War and how this was the most triggering thing of her life. And how could she do that? And, you know, it, it was like a 50 page essay about this and it was just ridiculous <laughs> you know i'm again this is touching on my experience of kind of early internet where if you played any multiplayer game you were going to hear the most atrocious things whether yeah. that was on pc or xbox live didn't matter you were going to hear some stuff um but yeah it was this this chastisement i mean of telling your target audience that they're horrible people and the only way it started just as you're horrible people but then it became you're horrible people but if you want to be better this is what you should think. This is what you should consume. This is what we like and what we don't like. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the publishers and developers that should be punished. These are the artists that should be praised. And so that's kind of the setting, you know, the background for what's going on. So that's getting worse and worse. It's showing up at all these different outlets. Um, you know, people have kind of gotten to the point where it feels like it's either completely corporate, where it's a sellout thing, you know, uh, with the Dorito, or Dorito Pope, you know, where it's just Mountain Dew ads <laughs> and nachos, or, or you're being yelled at for being a, a bad person. And so what happened was, um, yeah, this revolves around uh, Zoe Quinn and a breakup with her ex, which, you know, on its own wouldn't have mattered. Nobody would have cared. Mm. Um, but it's what he talked about in his his breakup letter. You know, he, he started mentioning things in it. And so this started to kind of pro or proliferate on uh, 4chan and on Reddit. I remember reading about it on V, I think, a few days afterwards. And people were like, yeah, that's really weird. You know, so I went to go read it. I was like, I wonder why everybody's so interested. I remember reading it and then I remember going on social media and seeing people talking about it and it just got me mad. I was like, you know, here we are being told we're terrible people and everything we're doing is wrong. And, you know, our hobby is, is, is garbage and we're garbage. 
And then, you know, here's a situation where it looks like a game developer is getting favorable coverage because she has a romantic relationship with the people that are writing this stuff, you know, and it, it really was like a touchstone for everybody's complaints about how incestuous um, the entire industry was about how they faked a lot of what they talked about. It was virtue signaling. We didn't really have that term at the time, but um, when you look at a lot of the people writing stuff back then, uh, we you know, you find accounts of them on forums saying just terrible stuff, but they'd write articles saying that you were a terrible person. Um, I wish I could remember his name. There was one guy that said, uh, I think it was Dragon's Crown. And there's a character in Dragon's Crown, a female that has just very enormous breasts. And he said, if you like this character, um, you're a pedophile. You're into lollicon. And people were, were like, what are you talking about? Do you not understand? Like, you understand how ridiculous that is, right? So, you know, just just goofy stuff. But um, yeah, that, but that's the, but the character. It wasn't like an underage. Uh, no, it was a woman, a grown woman, a 30 year old with, with big mean, ass they, titties. They were like triple Q. It was the most ridiculous <laughs> thing you've ever seen. He couldn't be more wrong if he tried to be right. You know, and so um I think the I think uh, one of the designers for the game said maybe you'd like this better, and he sent him a picture of half naked dwarfs hugging each other, <laughs> and uh, he got really mad about that. It was very, it's a very funny response, but um, you know, so it's just it was a very weird time. But yeah, uh, reading that and then reading about the relationships, and then hearing things, um, you know, there's also a group at the time of uh, like uh, game devs, indie game devs. I think it was the Young Capitalists, mm. um, who also had an encounter with Zoe Quinn. And who said that she destroyed them? She used her connections to destroy them, uh, ruin their chances of doing anything. They had written a lot of blogs about this. I covered it in the second video, I think. Um, and that you know her friends in the industry, you know the, the journalists had kind of helped her uh, to kind of sink them. So I mean that was kind of the start of it. Um, but you know one of the other major things that kind of set it off too was uh, Monday Matt was a channel that was uh, kind of covering it at the time. Uh, Matthew Jarbo. Um, and he had put up a single image from uh, Quinn's game from the Steam store page was in his video. And she DMCA'd that saying that that was uh, unfair to use. So let me just uh, jump in real quick. So for those sure. who don't know, uh, Matt Jarbo, a.k.a. Mundane Matt, uh, is a is a I think he still is an Internet commentator, um, sort of uh, kind of milk toasty, uh, you, you know, like Tim Pool with with less edge. Um, <laughs> That's a good way and, to put it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, and he had like, I guess he was more like a pop culture channel with a, a lot of sort of uh, lukewarm takes about, about things. And he, and he made a video about this. And that's when uh, Zoe Quinn uh, took it down, even though there was no violation. Yeah, there, there was nothing that was actionable on that. It was ridiculous. Um, she did not like what he had to say. Uh, he was commenting on what was going on. Um, and so, you know, I had my initial take that I was going to do. Uh, had been working on the video uh, and then saw that uh, Matt's stuff had gotten taken down by a, a fake DMCA, which made me angry. And I was like, you know, the, it, it just kind of reached a boiling point, I guess, where it just was like, you know, I'm sick of being told that, uh, again, my my hobby's garbage, that I'm garbage. Uh, I'm sick of these people acting like they have a moral high ground when it's pretty clear they're as dirty as everybody else. Mm. Um, I, I'm sick of them flagrantly kind of abusing the system around them uh, to kind of take down criticism or to silence people. Uh, you know, one of the things really at the, the very start of Gamergate that you would see is, and this happened at a lot of subreddits, if you talked about it, you would see comments just destroyed. Um, I think it was our total biscuit right at the time. Um, and a few others where there were like thousands of comments. It was just pages and pages and pages all deleted by moderators. You're not allowed to talk about it. Our gaming. Um, 
And really quickly, Total Biscuit, um, uh, aka John Bain, was a popular uh, video games commentator who really uh, became, I think, one of the most vocal and visible and maybe articulate uh, proponents of uh, the quote unquote consumers and in, in this issue. But he sadly passed away um, uh, uh, some some years ago. But just sort of trying to set the stage and give give people who uh, an, an idea of who people are. But please, continue. oh no, no, yeah, that's fine. Jump in whenever you need to. Um, but yeah, yeah, and he did. Um, he, you know, he he got annoyed by it too because he saw the same thing kind of everybody else had seen. So, you know, it, the story kind of breaks. Uh, people are making videos about it. It's being talked about on social media. I put my video up. Uh, it starts to gain traction. Um, uh, the actor, Adam Baldwin, uh, ended up uh, seeing it. And he was the one that used the term Gamergate. Nobody else did. So, I mean, right. he, he, he put that up on Twitter to share the video and then use hashtag Gamergate. And that's kind of what kickstarted the whole thing uh, into getting a wider audience. Yeah, you know, and that's... First of all, of course, it had to be a Baldwin to kind of kick the kick off. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and, and it's and it's weird because what I remember at the time when it all I mean, I just I literally just happened to be like in the right place at the right time, you know, seeing all this stuff kind of unfold. And, you know, at the beginning, I mean, I read I remember reading um, the the pro I think his name is Aaron Joni, his post about about Zoe. And, you know, and you said this in your first video, which I agreed with. It's like it's not it doesn't really matter as much um, what they do behind closed doors or how, you know, we're not going to get into how toxic that relationship <laughs> was because right. holy shit, what what a shit show. But mm -hmm. um, it, it the fact that it. Um, even people who supported the movement and, and who would just say, well, it's it's a consumer revolt. For me, I said that sort of that feels to me a little bit disingenuous and reductive because it, it feel because if it were just that and if it were just, you know, and people would say, oh, it's just video games. I'm like, well, if it, if, if it were just video games, then I don't think it would have taken off the way that it did. It seemed to uh, to cross so many so many lines. And I, I think know, it resonated with people. I mean, I, I think a lot of people saw it and thought. I see, uh, you know, a reflection of that or uh, a piece of that uh, in something that I'm encountering, hmm. right? I can see it either on the horizon coming down or I'm in the midst of it already myself, whether I'm in academia or this is a workplace thing or in the banking sector or, you know, finance, uh, or maybe, you know, I'm a big comic book fan and I'm like, hey, things are, just, you know, maybe the industry is going to go that direction or anime. Uh, you know, what if the translators decide they want to start doing goofy stuff? Um and I mean, we're kind of at that point now, too, where you look at, um, especially with comics, uh, yeah. kind of what's happened with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of it, it made people kind of pay attention and be like, is this going to happen to me or is it already happening to me? Um, and I, I, again, I think people don't like the idea of a group of people uh, having a position of authority, even if it's something as you know perceived as minor as just games journalism. Uh where they're calling the shots behind the scenes because you had a lot of closing the ranks. I mean, you talk about how this was covered in the press. Uh, they all hit with articles that came out within minutes of each other with the exact same titles, with the exact same yeah. bylines. Um, and you had people trying to deny it, like Stephen Totillo, right, from Kotaku saying, oh, there's no, there's no conspiracy here. This isn't happening. You guys are just imagining things. Well, you know, it, well, it was weird because then, you know, it, it was like week after week, there were all these revelations that would come out about things that were kind of going on behind the scenes and, and the articles you're talking about. I mean, because I was talking about, I mean, you know, for instance, uh, I mean, ABC's Nightline uh, had probably one of the most downvoted videos on YouTube uh, when they covered <laughs> it, when they when they featured, I think it was Anita, Anita Sarkeesian um, in, in one of their uh, videos about this. So, you know, it worked its way up, not just to Nightline, but to like Law and Order, Law and, Order and all this other stuff. But the, but uh, so what Jim's been talking about is uh, I think it was I can't be, believe I remember these dates, but August 28th, 
2014, um, you had all this whole string of articles that came out um, referencing what you were kind of referring to earlier, Jim, about, uh, you know, you had these games journalists writing about how gamers don't have to be your audience, which is ridiculous. It's like saying if, if you open a restaurant and say, you know, hungry people don't have to be your audience, you know, right. and um, and I think it struck a lot of people as as quite bizarre that all these articles uh, came out at the same time. So then it came out. Um, you know, maybe uh, you know, a week or so later, that um, there was actually a uh, what was it called? Games Game Journal Pros or something like that. Yeah, it was a group um, of them together discussing what to write and how to write it. Yeah, right, and what not to write about, it, and, and crucially as well. And um, you know, so it was weird. You know, you mentioned before that these people have all these sort of uh, this sanctimonious, um, you, you know false virtue that they try to lord over others but then they engage in the most despicable kinds of behavior and and or or the people that are in there i call it a cult now the people who are in their cult um who engage in the very same kinds of behavior um are are protected especially if they happen to have the uh, the right genitals and that's what we saw happen uh with miss quinn and now i'm not here to say you know what did or didn't happen because it is kind of beside the point the point is that um the way that all these people uh interacted to push to to publicize and put forth this one particular sort of overarching narrative that once i began to see that that was sort of the the censorship you, the censorship you mentioned i saw that on various on various chat boards and everything and i and i was so amazed by it. like do people are really asking just really basic logical um you know questions that some people were being assholes i mean you're talking about video games right it's a worldwide hobby you know you're gonna you're gonna have <laughs> the, errant, the territory yeah. you know what you're gonna have like the, the little you know asshole 12 or 14 year old who's just like trying to troll and like you know for for kicks or whatever um but then you have people who are saying like no i would i would uh, i would genuinely like this issue uh, uh discussed and they would just get shut down and so that was a sort of first sign for me that i said okay they're 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 not allowing people to talk about this. And I feel a certain kind of way about that. And for, I guess it was my first glimpse into these sort of, I mean, we use the, we use the term um, authoritarian tendencies um, of these particular people to just, just to completely stifle any discussion whatsoever about, uh, about what people saw as a really legitimate uh, uh, issue. Right. And, and, you know, it was kind of um, foreshadowing almost, I'd say, um, their control over, the discussion of this uh, on the various platforms where it would be discussed, you know, that authoritarian kind of hold they had over people was a real uh, foreshadowing of what we've seen with social media now, where, um, you know, you either get in line with the program, say what we want you to say, or we're going to boot you off of it. Uh, you're going to be banned here. You can't say this here, this word censored. You can't think this thought. Um, I mean, look at YouTubers at this point nowadays. And I'm not even talking about people saying just edgy things. I mean, if you look at YouTube in 2006, 2007, everybody's saying the N-word, their execution videos up. I understand we're not going back to that. But, you know, even if you had an opinion, really, that disagrees with 99% of people, if you tried to put that up on YouTube, you're just done. That's just no longer acceptable. Uh, if you go onto Twitter and say something that's too outrageous, you're gone. Uh, Facebook is kind of a, a dead zone for that as well at this mm -hmm. point. Um you know, I've noticed a lot of people are kind of doing like the podcast thing because um, that kind of gives them more wiggle room, right? It gives you a little bit more freedom, a little more independence um, to kind of do what you want to do. And God knows what they're going to do to you guys, uh, <laughs> the podcasters in two years. Uh, I'm sure they're coming, uh, yeah. but, you know, they'll use something like uh, Joe Rogan, right? Uh, you know, as uh, uh, an excuse to do it or somebody else. They'll pick something. They'll pick some uh, reason to kind of come after it. But yeah. 
yeah, I, I think the stuff you kind of saw during Gamergate, really the pushback against people talking about it has now been seen in so many other areas. It's ridiculous. Well, I think also, uh, and this, so, you know, so Jim and I are talking um, in the wake of, uh, and again, this, this is really, uh, politics are in this discussion, but it's not specifically about that kind of per se, but, uh, you know, sure. just, just a few, uh, a few weeks ago, um, you know, with the, uh, with the decision to, of the Supreme Court to, uh, you know, strike down Roe versus Wade. So right. it, in, in the wake of that, you saw this firestorm of, of racist uh, opprobrium um, directed toward uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, um, even though he's only one of six people who put forth uh, this particular decision. And you saw people just saying all kinds of vile, uh, racist things. And some people just saw that and they, they were so horrified by it. But I was like, nope, seen this before. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember during the, during the, uh, during the whole uh, Gamergate saga. So once, once the, once the, the story kind of, or the grand narrative became formed in the mainstream press, that it was this, um, this cadre of angry uh, cis hetero, uh, uh, cis uh, gendered, um, heterosexual privileged white males. Um, then you had this interesting movement of, uh, of women, of sexual minorities, racial minorities speaking up and you know posting comments, posting videos, uh, tweets, and so on and so forth, saying, no, I, act I actually, uh, I, I support what these dudes are talking about. These people are talking about on the on the quote unquote pro Gamergate side. They, they had a hashtag called not your shield, which I thought was really interesting to see when um, when you had these people who said, no, you know, you stupid, ridiculous uh, uh, white progressives with your bourgeois minority uh, lapdogs uh, are not going to use me. Uh, as some sort of uh, virtue armor to defend against your shitty ideology, attacks on your shitty ideology. And to, I would I would go back and forth with people like white, young white liberals, who, by the way, I mean, you know, I think we're around the same age, Jim. And, sure. you know, I, I grew up playing, you know, I mean, playing Pac-Man on the Commodore 64, uh, you know, the NES, uh, SNES, all that stuff. So gaming has sort of been a part of my life. Nobody ever, ever excluded me. I was into comic books and like pro wrestling, all that kind of stuff later. Nobody ever uh, gave me any kind of guff because I was black. And yet here I have these stupid, quote unquote, progressive 20 somethings who are trying to tell me about how racist these cultures are and, and how exclusive they are. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Stop, stop, stop talking down to me. I, you know, I'm not some fragile, uh, uh, I was going to say fragile monkey or something. <laughs> we shouldn't, we won't go there, but you know, and, but to, to see how people like myself and people like these other, you know, sexual racial minorities, women, and so on and so forth, were completely dismissed or ignored or just straight up berated. I, I said, you know, that is, that was like the next level for me where I said, okay, so that the press is corrupt and they're, they're gatekeeping these stories. But now because due to this sort of, you know, I mean, you mentioned it before, and I've said this for a long time as well, the secular religion, although I call it a cult now, um, you know, you, you, when you run afoul, of their ideology. I mean, you think they hate you think they hate white people. I mean, they come after people like me just, you know, with with 20 times the force. And, I, and once I saw that as well, I said, OK, well, the, something is really, really wrong here. Like you can't you can't unsee that once you've seen it. Yeah, I, I, it was pretty obvious. Um, you know, you brought up Roe v. Wade and uh, Clarence Thomas. Right. Um, I found that amusing uh, for the reason that uh, I remember for about three or four weeks preceding all of these decisions when it came to gun control and um, abortion and just uh, Miranda rights, all everything they kind of ruled on. Mm. Uh, they viciously went after his wife. And so in the right. back of my mind, it was always, 
you know, as I always had this picture of Clarence Thomas sitting there like, oh, you want to want to talk shit about my wife? OK, well, let's see how that's going to work out for you. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, they really did pin it on him. Um, uh, who's the actor that played uh, played Sulu uh, in Star Trek? Uh, Asian guy. Oh, yeah. George Takai. Oh, my goodness. dude. Right. Well, I mean, he went on that interview and basically called him uh, uh, an Uncle Tom said, you're you're uh, what was it? Blackface. Yeah, he's like, he said he's a white man in blackface. Right. Ridiculous. Um, it, it could you? I, I couldn't imagine somebody else doing it. Um, and it feels so weird to say that now, too, by the way, because you reach a point where it's like it's there's so much hypocrisy kind of coming from that, that if you call that out every time, it's your broken record. Right. Because you're encountering yeah. it so, so much. Uh, but yes, uh, Not Your Shield kind of was uh, this idea that they're not uh, token characters to be used uh, as pieces on a battlefield by, um, you know, middle class, upper middle class white women that are in college. Uh, you know, these Tumblrettes, essentially, you know, the, the same people I was kind of making fun of are now the ones leading this battle cry. And you you kind of saw that, too. You saw uh, in these these kind of uh, news outlets, a lot of 20 to 25 year old white middle class, um, you know, heavily female, but male, too, um, writing from the perspective of let us tell you, uh, black man, let us tell you, mm. uh, let's say a woman, let us tell you, gay guy. Um, what you should think, feel, act, and how you should be mad about this. Because white people, it's very weird when you've got somebody telling you, when you've got a white person telling you white people are the enemy and, you know, white people are awful and white people lie, you should be like, wait a minute, <laughs> then why am I listening to you, buddy? Right. Well, it, it always rings so unbelievably hollow uh, because, you know, if you really believed, if you truly believed in ideas of like white privilege or whatever, that you would just say the next, you know, next time you see me come along, you would just give me your money, give me your house, you know, give me your wife. Oh, you they'll never, just... <laughs> they, they never, they never do that. It's always interesting. Yeah. The one thing they like to stay away from is class. They never want to talk about working class, uh, you mm. know, economic factors, any of that. It's always something that's out of your control. Uh, you know, the skin you're born with, the sex you're oriented towards, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I feel bad for a lot of kids that kind of have grown up in this this kind of culture because mm. it's taught them that they uh, are not a person, but more a characteristic. Like you are defined not by your actions and the sum of your parts and all of the things that you do and how you represent yourself. You are merely represented by the fact that you are gay or you're black or you're transsexual or you're this, or you're that, whatever button or, or switch or lever or pin or whatever. Um, but that's all you are. And that's all you can identify with. And that's how you get attention. And that's how you prove worth. And I think that's a terrible message to tell people. I mean, it's, it's the opposite of what we should be telling people. I mean, it should be the content of your character, right? The, the summation of who you are as a person, you know, all of that factors into it. You're not defined simply by one singular, you know, singular point that helps win an argument on an ideological battlefield. Well, I mean, I think it's I actually think it's, um, you know, I have, I have sympathy for uh, the younger people in, in a different way. And that, you know, you, you mentioned um, actions, but, you know, you can take all the actions, the, the noble actions in, in the world, like in, in your life. But um, now we live in an era where you can have a single moment captured, you know, on camera. And, you know, if it go, it doesn't even have to go viral, it just has to go, you know, spread around your town or whatever. Um, and that will be that will come. That will become what defines you in, in the minds of a lot of people. And so there is this, um, you know, I have sympathy in that they like they'll be defined by their actions, but it's but also by. 
like they'll be defined by actions that we we probably took when we were kids uh, or, or young people are stupid or more immature. Sure. But now it lives on forever and, you know, in infamy because it's on the Internet now. So there's this level of perfectionism um, and and uh, and and a rigid um, a, a desire to remain within, you know, the the bounds of what's socially acceptable now. But it's like almost on steroids because everything's so overexposed. And so now th these people don't have the opportunity to really mess up and muck around and get dirty and kind of make mistakes in the way that, uh, the, the way that we did. Well, yeah. Youth is about making mistakes. Uh, that's one thing I'm thankful for. Thank God. Uh, yeah. Social media did not exist when I was a kid. Yeah. I, 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 I pray at night. <laughs> Thank God there was not a Twitter when I was a child uh, or a YouTube or something like that. You can't make a mistake. You're right. It's this false pretense of perfection. Um, that you have to be chaste and pure and never make a mistake. And it's retroactive, which is horrible. So even mm -hmm. if you behave yourself, uh, according, to, you know, according to the current trends, five years from now, what the language you were using and the way you said that thing that was acceptable, not acceptable anymore. Um, you know, I, I mean, we're using the term POC now, person of color, people of color. If I had called a black dude a POC back when I was a kid, I'd have got punched. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. you'd be like, what do you mean? What do you, what, what, what do you mean person of color? What the hell are you, you know, uh, it's very weird. Um, and, and the language gets very kind of jarbled. Um, but yeah, kids don't have a chance to make mistakes anymore. Um, and it will haunt them for the rest of their lives. And it's a, another good distinction, I think, between the era that I guess we grew up in and the era that they're growing up in. I was always taught and I grew up with the idea that you don't tell anybody who you are you know, put your name out there, your address out there, your phone number out there, because hmm. you don't know what's on the internet. There are crazy people in the world, right? The very basic safety stuff. But now you look at kids and what do they do? Here's my full name on my YouTube page that links to my Facebook that shows you the class I go to. It shows you who all my family members are, the city I live in, the phone number I have. Um, you know, I have uh, accounts to give donations to all my favorite streamers. And uh, so they know my bank account information and my mom's bank account information. There's no anonymity. I mean, we're heading for, you know, if, what I see as being bad right now will be 10 times worse within the decade, because I think the movement will be uh, for the protection of people and for the protection of children and for safety and security, we need real ID. And so that's going to be a back end system when it starts and they'll sell it to people as, listen, it's okay. You can still call yourself, um, you know, sniper XXX 360 no scope on YouTube, but to have that YouTube account, we need your ID. Mm -hmm. And when you have a, a Twitter account with a different name, it also links to that idea and your Facebook links to that ID. So on the back end, if you ever misbehave anywhere, we know exactly who you are so we can protect you. Right. Um, until eventually that gets turned front way, you know, kind of front forward and everybody can see it. Um, that's my fear. I, I know people think anonymity on the Internet's a bad thing. I think that's a perspective that's very new and I think it's wrong. Um, I think it allows you to express yourself and for all the terrible things you might encounter, um, you don't want a system where you're the spotlights on you. Uh, and that's not even for outrageous statements or nefarious things. Just even talking about what we just talked about, about kids being stupid and doing stupid shit. Mm -hmm. um, they should be allowed to. Like if you're a kid, you're going to do dumb stuff. You know, that's just part of growing up. And I don't think your life should be destroyed for it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if we can put the the cat back in the bag or you know re reseal pandora's box at this point but you know i you know you, you've obviously been 
spent a uh, an internet career, if you can call it that, being being very prescient about these things, and um, especially in the wake of the um, the past few years, I've I've definitely been become more and more concerned about, um, and even from a more left wing perspective, um, you know, back in the day, just you know the uh, in, in in the wake of the war on terror and and encroachments into our personal liberties and privacy and those sorts of things, and I mean I'm someone who's sort of unique in that. Um, you know, I mean, I, my background is, is as an actor. Um, and so I, I, I'm sort of weird in that I don't necessarily seek uh, the spotlight, but I'm, I'm comfortable in it. So I don't mind putting my, my stuff out there. But at the same time, um, I, I don't understand people who, who as you say, think uh, anonymity is a, is a bad thing. Um, the, the, the fact that we um, the fact that we have someone like you around who's able to just <laughs> come, just, just do these brilliant uh uh, shit posty deep dives on all these different, um, all these different niches um, is, is incredible. I love that we have, um, you know, access and we have people who are able to, to do all these kinds of things. At the same time, I think it's also important that um, we preserve protections for the people who decide to, to put their faces out there and say things that, um, uh, that increasingly we find uh, unsayable. No, I, and I agree with that too. Um, yeah, it's it just, it's very weird having watched the past, I guess, decade of the internet kind of unfold in the direction that it's gone in. Um, it has gone from uh, more heavily uh, anonymity focused and everything's okay to say to you can only say certain things. And I think part of the reason for that um, would be that intersectionality, that infiltration, you know, that kind of um, group think. But I don't want to entirely put it on that either. I mean, I think there are other players uh, that are part of this. I, I think part of it's uh, corporations. Mm. Uh, you know, I think a lot of uh, corporations see the internet and it's this huge marketplace. And, you know, I've said this before and I won't say it in the same language because I don't know where you're broadcasting this. So I don't want to mess up anything for you. Um, but it's hard to sell a Toyota when 20 people in the comments are screaming the N-word, right? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. you've got these companies that are like, hey, clean up language, clean up this, clean up this. We want to put this ad here. We want to, you know, sell a bunch of cars. Uh, so they have a vested interest in kind of cleaning up how things are presented. Uh, and then you have the government as well, um, uh, you know, uh, with all their different, because uh, the government's bureaucracy, so you've got 300,000 different departments all fighting each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to describe it as almost a serenade. I, you know, I said, not all conspiracies are people in a back room together smoking cigars, uh, coming up with uh, terrible plans. Sometimes it's a serendipitous conspiracy where you've got different actors that have a similar goal who along the way happen to notice one another and they're like, Hey, that's fantastic. So you've got corporations that want to clean for business. You've got government that wants to clean to take care of, you know, quote unquote extremists. Uh, and then you've got ideological groups that want to clean and they're looking around and like, I agree with you and I agree with you and uh, let's, let's do this push. And so it looks like this wall of kind of um, opposition coming towards you when you're just this little guy <laughs> who wants to say something on your YouTube channel, or you want to say something on your Twitter, or you want to just uh, uh, say a gamer word uh, in your, your TF2 match, right? Uh, and it's, it's just kind of overwhelming, it, I guess would be the best way to put it. It's become overwhelming uh, to try to... Uh, to try to do things online anymore. I mean, I, not only do I feel bad for kids who aren't going to be able to grow up and make mistakes, I feel bad for kids that are not going to be able to be creative. I mean, you said you're kind of into arts, uh, you know, uh, acting, that kind of stuff. Uh, think about the kid that wants to do film. Think about the kid that wants to do music. Think about the kid that wants to do something that's expressive and how stifling that's going to be because that's going to put over their head 
a limit on what direction that ever can take. Well, this is what this is what I began to. This is why I began to open my mouth. Um, so I was in New York for a long time, and you know, I, I was I was pretty much on my way doing all the things that I that you should be doing off Broadway and on Broadway and and television and and I began to. It's funny because I you know I had all of the um, the Gamergate stuff in the back of my mind. You know, I, I, as we were going forward. Um, then two years after that, we had the uh, you know the whole Trump uh, phenomenon. And which just completely broke the brains of everybody, almost everybody. I mean, not me, obviously, um, in the <laughs> entertainment industry. And it was just remarkable to watch everyone just have these complete uh, utter meltdowns. And, you know, you would see people that uh, were otherwise really highly functional, highly intelligent people just kind of um, go off the deep end. But, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking about... Um, you know, I have the, the wool pulled over, pulled from my eyes, I should say, not, not over my eyes, from my eyes because of Gamergate. And then, um, you know, so I already went into uh, the whole uh, the Trump phenomenon with um, with fewer blinders on and saying, like, I, you know, there's, there's something that's kind of weird about this. And um, I know they're, they're lying about a lot of what he's doing, yada, yada, yada. And so I wasn't as a as a pressed about everything. But I saw what was happening with um, with the comic industry. And then it made me think about, you know, atheism plus and, you know, what happened in gamer culture. And I said, now these people. And it was weird because I got out of my fancy acting school um, in 2009. Um, and back then, um, which wasn't even that long ago, but back then, you know, it was it, it, it was a different kind of it was a different atmosphere. And increasingly, you know, it's now to the point where, I mean, you know, the, the casting breakdowns would say masculine presenting. Um, uh, uh, what masculine presenting uh, male or or whatever, <laughs> and you know you have to you know when you're when you're gathering for a new play or a new production or whatever they they do a meet and greet uh, the first day and you in introduce yourselves and you know what what role you take in the production and so you'd have people say okay increasingly you would have people say like okay we're going to go around the room we're going to say our pronouns now and. Um, you know, I, I managed to weasel my way out of it because, you know, my, my view on that is that I don't participate in the sort of pronoun thing for the same reason that as an atheist, I don't participate in prayer circles. So just, you know, it's not my my belief system, but I began to see increasingly. And then as an actor um, of color, uh, as they say, um, I I. I would just get these these scripts and it's like, dude, you know, I've got like two decades worth of training. I mean, of experience. I've got elite level training. And but these but I don't want to be a mouthpiece for a, an ideological perspective, which I completely reject and which, you know, it makes acting no fun because again, you're there just to be a mouthpiece for a bunch of nonsense that would stop the story cold. And it wouldn't give that, you know, you can't, you can't give any of your minority characters any kind of depth now because someone's going to complain about it somewhere and they're and they're afraid of it. So they have to make everybody perfect and flawless. And nobody wants to see perfect and flawless people. They want to see people like themselves because we all are flawed. Exactly. And um, I, I just, you know, I, I began to see these things, especially in the wake of George Floyd's death. That was another thing as well. The industry just said, all of a sudden, we are a racist industry. We, I'm like, dude, my entire career since I was 19, people have been like, dude, you're going to go far if you work hard. But then um, I never asked for any accolades or any kind of special recognition for, you know, being a person of color uh, and doing what I was doing. Um, but this ideology kept kind of taking over and 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 taking over. And I just said, you know, this, I felt more and more alienated. So just, I'm just saying all this to say, like from the inside, um, experiencing it, it just, it kind of sucked all the joy uh, out of a lot of the stuff for me, because I'm like, I, I just, I don't, I'm not really with any of this stuff, but because of that, uh, I'm a pariah. 
Yeah, it has taken away the aspect of what is fun and what is not. I mean, I could see that in a professional setting and just uh, in basic daily interactions. Like everybody has to be on guard now. And, uh, you know, I don't, uh, some people, uh, I guess, depending on your political ideology would say, well, that was the intention. Uh, but whether or not the intention or not, um, it's like you have to put everything you do and say and think through a filter first. Is this acceptable? Can I say this? Can I think this? And it's so damn tiring, isn't it? Yeah. It's just so damn tiring. Like I want to be able to sit down with people and talk to them like they're people. And, you know, it's, it's nice that there are still people like that. Uh, but more and more, yes, it is. Um, oh, well, you uh, you said this in this way. And because you said this in this way, um, you didn't use the proper pronoun dance for this. So you must be a terrible person. Where if this were 20 years ago and the pronoun dance wasn't there, they would have been agreeing with you. Oh, yeah, no, I get your point. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I, I don't want to have to put on this fake facade of putting a filter on to appease some kind of th- you're asking me to put a lot of effort in, I guess is what I'm saying. Like you're a stranger, right? We meet, you're a stranger. And you want me suddenly to know uh, about your genitalia. It's a very weird opener, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I wouldn't go into a club to meet a chick and uh, be like, hey, I have a penis. You know, it's a very weird thing to do. <laughs> uh, but like, that's your, that, I mean, that's how strange it is. That's what the interaction on the street is uh, with, with a stranger now is like, oh, you know what? Am I using the right pronoun? Am I using the right um, uh, terminology? You know, can I can I say I like a certain type of like even liking food now is a, a sin. Like uh, you know, I can't like tacos apparently because that's culturally appropriation. You know, and uh, it's just very strange. Well, I I do think though that um, on, on like on some level I do see the the messaging and uh, I guess what I, I just could call it propaganda, it, it is working. But then at the same time, I mean, you know, I was in New York City for uh, about a decade and a half and um, I, I fled there once it uh, was clear that it was going to collapse. Um, but now I'm I'm in a red state. Um, it's, it's a blue, I'd say it's more purple. It's, it's leaning more blue lately. But once, uh, you know, once you're actually, once I was actually out of that sort of really, really deep blue environment, just out in the world, interacting with normal people, the average everyday person, uh, you know, whether they're, you know, they're driving an Uber or they're, you know, they work at the, the checkout line at Walgreens or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people sort of their knee jerk reaction is to reject a lot of this stuff. And they look at it as like very bizarre and just kind of strange. And I think increasingly as we, um, I mean, you mentioned before uh, your, your concerns about uh, an overarching kind of, I don't know if we call it surveillance state, but, uh, you know, the sort of digital prison, these digital handcuffs. Uh, uh, well, I, I, that is, I mean, that's always been a concern for me. I mean, you, you even right. had mentioned kind of um, your early days and you know, your wariness towards um, Bush, right? With um, the stuff like Patriot Act, stuff like right. that. Um, and I'm there with you. Like I, you know, I, the idea that the government would have this kind of uh, control mechanism over people. And I think uh, a lot of people didn't really pay attention um, to what the government and uh, whistleblowers were saying. And I'm not talking about just like people like Snowden, I'm talking like Applebaum and others that were saying, Hey, it's not just your software that's compromised. It's your hardware. Like they're putting stuff in your hardware, your CPUs, your GPUs, even your data cables that you wouldn't think is possible, but it's there. And on um, top of that, it's not it's not just a partisan thing, too, because, you know, for the Patriot Act, then Barack Obama comes in and signs the uh, the net was it National Defense Authorization. That Act. that blew me away. Uh, you know, yeah. so that I, I you know, a lot of people got angry with Trump. Right. Uh, because here he comes in and he doesn't really do away with a lot of the censorship they thought he was going to do away with. I felt that way with Obama. 
here mm-hmm. comes, uh, you know, this is how he was perceived at the time, a young black Kennedy. He's coming in right. with a public mandate. Right. He's got everybody behind him, man. He's got the votes. He's got the politics, the machines behind him. He's going to come in and he's going to get rid of all this dirty stuff that's there. He promised he's going to get rid of it. Patriot Act gone. Uh, we're not going to have um, people getting tortured and black sites out of the country right. anymore. Right. You know, he's he's going to fix it. He's promised us he's going to fix it. He's not a part of the system. He's a young guy, young energy, new new ideas, new everything. And yeah, he comes in NDAA of 2012, 2013. You know, like he he just he doesn't care. Just it uh, it's the same thing. Uh, and that that was a that was a black bill. Um, <laughs> that was uh, you know a very disappointing thing. And I think. I think really, I, I would almost say the last 20 years uh, for a lot of people have probably been eye-opening. I mean, it's not new to say that politicians let you down, but I think it's regardless almost of your political party, I think everybody has kind of sat there and saw, thought, man, the Republicans came in and they wanted to basically put us in this panopticon uh, in relation to, you know, in response to terrorism. Then the Democrats came in and they just made it worse. And then the Republicans came in and they made it even worse. And now here come the Democrats again, and they're making it even worse. It's almost oh like God. none of them care. <laughs> none of them care about us. Um, and it's just, it's an, you know, it's, it's, it's politics and glad handing and tech companies and donors. And they don't care about the little guy, the little citizen who's like, Hey, I'm getting a little nervous with all these, uh, you know, freedoms you're taking away and all these cameras you're installing in my house. And, uh, you know, all this stuff that you're putting in and, um, I'm sorry to jump in, but yeah, the, the Panopticon thing, um, the surveillance state stuff, that's always been a big issue for me. That's always, I've always wanted a politician. You want my vote. That's how you get it. I don't care what political party you're a part of. If you're the guy or woman, whatever, uh, that comes in and says, Hey, this is all bad and let's just get rid of it. I'm I'll vote for you day one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to be too black billed, as you say, um, uh, about these kinds of things. It seems now that the rot it's just so um, it's so deep. I mean, you know, it, you, you, as you were speaking, it made me think about, um, you know, I don't think I've said this publicly, but I, I, I feel like Barack Obama may have damaged uh, our sort of people's enthusiasm for politics um, in, for a for a long time to come, because, you know, I mean, I, I voted for him when he was elected. I, I called my grandmother. It's one of my last conversations with her. You know, she was born in 1936. You never thought that she would see um, someone like Obama become elected. And, you know, I mean, I'm in New York City and, you know, I'm crying and at, in the middle of this bar, you know, we all we all erupted. And it was a great ride home, actually, back to Queens. I was in lower Manhattan. And so, like, it was hilarious because, like, you know, the, the, we were all on the subway trains, you know, just cheering or whatever. Then the train would stop. Doors would open. You would hear people screaming into the train. We'd scream back out to the train. Like everybody was so excited about it. And then, like you know, his first hundred days, I was like, "Oh man, he's really doing it." But then it was like, "Okay, now he's not going to close Guantanamo. Oh, now he's presiding over a, a kill list. Oh, now he's droning people overseas. Oh, now he's destroying uh, Libya and North Africa. Like, what the hell is going on?" And um, yeah. and it just. Uh, you know, I just had to had to kind of detach myself for for a while because it just seemed that like, uh, you know, as a, as the great Michael Jackson once said, they don't really uh, care about us. Um, but at the same time, um, especially given uh, all the shenanigans of the past couple of years, um, and you know, I look at the response to the kind of material that, that I put out, which is like I said, it's more arts and culture focused. But it seems to me that people are a lot of people. A lot of the conversations that I'm seeing had in quote unquote this space or whatever, people are people are noticing something is really, really wrong and going really wrong. 
And I think they're tying it back, not just to this particular ideology we've been lampooning this entire conversation, but also um, an increased reliance on, as you were saying, technology. Um, we're moving, we're, we're straying further and further away from ideas of, at least in the arts and, and culture, like, you know, ideas of, of beauty, um, transcendence, um, uh, meaning is what we're kind of getting, getting back towards. And I, I think slowly but surely people are awakening to this idea that, uh, you know, there's there's something more to life than all these cool gadgets. There's got to be something more to life than what than whoever you know is running for the next election or whatever laws are being passed. There's something deeper um, there, and that's more valuable than um, than perhaps these um, all these leaders or whatever who say they're going to make things more convenient for us if we just install this app or or you know for our safety and security. You know, we need to you know input our information. Um, I think maybe people are pushing back and saying like, no, you know, F this, we want to be free. We, we hold freedom as, as, as paramount to everything else. And this is what we, we need. We want more reality. We want more freedom. I mean, you know, I don't know if you see it, but um, I'm, I'm kind of seeing maybe a shift, uh, the, pen, the pendulum swifting back, shifting the other way a little bit, just to kind of, you know, maybe wrap things up on a more uh, white pilled uh, uh, note. Um, well, yeah, I, I definitely do think that, um, there is a generational cycle. Um, you know, uh, it's debatable on how long it takes for a change to kind of take place or kind of, um, uh, make itself known. I, I think that, uh, I guess the simplistic way to look at it is, uh, children will always want to be the opposite of their parents. So if we have a generation raised on the idea of all this silly stuff and all this oversight, then you would hope their rebellion would take the form of, we reject that entirely, Right. Um, and that the generation that's coming up and the one that will come after it uh, will be opposed to kind of what we're being subjected to. Uh, the, the, I, I, so yes, white pill, definitely in that regard. Uh, my only problem with that is it's going to take them a while to grow up to do that. And so I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I know there are a lot of political differences in the country. Um, and it's weird to try to have a conversation about something like this without letting it become purely political, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think really at the core of it, most people agree with the idea that they don't want to be ruled over by anybody to the, you know, to the degree that we are. You know, to be micromanaged to this degree is becoming you know, insufferable. Um, you talked about the aspect of you know, wanting to kind of re-engage the idea of beauty. Uh, and stuff like that. Um, and yes, uh, you know, the ideology or the the thing we're being sold right now is we can't respect that which is beautiful because for something to be beautiful, we must acknowledge something is ugly. Or something is better than something else. Right. And, and so we can never allow that um, because everything must be um, uh, equal and equitable, right? And so we can't recognize uh, extraordinary things. Um, and that's sad, you know, uh, there are extraordinarily beautiful things. Uh, you know, human interaction, I, I think is, uh, you know, a valuable thing. I think, yes, we have allowed our technology to get in the way of that. Um, I think we're going to see that escalate and get, um, again, worse before it gets better. Uh, but yes, I, I do have the hope that it is generational that the pendulum swings and that, uh, you know, 10 years from now, they're going to be a bunch of, uh, kids. Maybe they'll be dressed up like SLC punk, right. You know, they'll go back to that eighties punk mentality of fuck you, mom and dad. I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, F you mom and dad, I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I want. And I'm not using no pronouns. You can't make me, <laughs> you know, that's, that's my rebellion. 
I, I do think, I feel like I see a little bit of that. Uh, you know, I, I say, cause I've been like, God, where are the kids now? Where's like, where's Gen Z falling all of this? Where's generation alpha going to come in and be like, this is so fucking lame. Right. Like, it's like, yeah, dude, we get it. Like not everybody fits into these boxes. That's why I kind of, with my intro, I'm kind of tongue in cheek saying everyone in between ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, cause you got to acknowledge that I think, but at the same time, it's like, dude, this is so dumb and y'all are so lame and we're going to push back against this. And that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping. I, I hope, I hope against hope that that, that is what happens. Um, Jim, how can people uh, find you or get in touch with you or see, uh, what, what are you up to these days? So people can, uh, can uh, follow you in your, in your shit posting ways. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I've been trying to keep that, uh, that high energy uh, kind of white pill, happy mentality. Um, so I do, I do, I do, you know, kind good of for like you. A, yeah, I do. A, I do a once a month uh, kind of recap stream on my uh, YouTube channel. They can find it there at uh, Mr. Medicare on YouTube, um, uh, calling it year of the Chud. I went with Chud because I thought um, that's just, it's such a, like, you know, as the, the, the meme when it was first presented of a kind of a, a right wing character is so goofy and I loved it. So I went with it and ran with it. I was like, yeah, we're going to go with that Chud energy of being shit posters, but it's mostly just laughing at things um, and just the goofy kind of uh, uh, silly things that uh, pop up on the internet or trying to keep it to that. I mean, it's gotten a bit, a little bit dark here the last couple of months with certain characters on the internet. Uh, but hopefully, you know, hopefully back to the, to the funny stuff. I mean, I've got um, this upcoming month. I've got one guy, a YouTuber, don't want to spoil too much, but uh, very litigious, sued a bunch of people for billions of dollars, stabbed his father in the face and then sued his father for getting stabbed. That's a first Damn. for me. That's a big yeah. move. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, accidentally uh, streamed himself, uh, call, <laughs> accidentally streamed himself for an hour and a half, half naked, eating hot dogs and gobbling like a turkey. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff I love. It's goofy. It's weird. You know, it's a crazy story. So I look, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to talking about that and kind of deep diving on uh, this guy and his litigious, because he's suing like 30 people right now for even just mentioning his name, which is why wow. I won't do it on your show, because he'll okay. sue you for... Uh, me bringing it up so we'll just keep it we'll keep it very (laughs) very very uh uh vague and bland and not 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 let him kind of pick up on i think he has like google alert set up if uh if his name is even mentioned he's just crazy oh my goodness well uh you know we we totally need you know you're 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 a man after my own heart jim with your irreverence and uh you know it just people if if you're if you're being ridiculous you need to expect to be ridiculed that that's that's how i that, that's how i look at it um you know it's such a it was such a great pleasure uh you know meeting you and chatting with you uh today and i hope people go and support um everything that you're doing because again you know we we need um we're going to need to laugh a whole lot <laughs> in, 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 in the coming in the coming uh, uh months uh possibly years well at least at least for the next let's say six months i think everybody's going to be stuck inside when it costs you like seven bucks a gallon of gas not like you're going to go for a nice sunday drive so hey if you got the time <laughs> swing by and uh hear a guy gobble like a turkey you know light up your <laughs> afternoon for a day i'll be the first person there and i'll be there with bells on 